Hello and welcome to another episode of Community Conversations, the podcast for those who have a heart for helping others. In this episode, we speak to the Honourable Mark Latham, who is the state leader for Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party. Mark has a long history of being a fighter and we're certainly glad as citizens of New South Wales that Mark is advocating for our rights and freedoms. To unpack the conversation today, welcome to our host, Pietro Di Girolamo. Over to you, Pietro. Hello, listeners, and welcome to our special guest today, Mark Latham. Mark, just a bit of history for our listeners, if you will. Between 2005, when you left the Labor Party, until 2019, when you came into politics, can you tell us a little bit about your time out of the limelight? Uh, what were the highlights of that time? And, and then what prompted you to re-enter politics in 2019? Uh, well, I, I left the federal parliament with uh, pancreatitis, which wasn't uh, all that flash uh, an illness. And I sort of reached the conclusion that um, stress had crept up on me. And the, the, the doctors said, well, you should get out of politics if you want to see your kids grow up. So I did. And uh, my wife went into the law working at the DPP. And now she's a magistrate in Newcastle. And um, for those years in between, those 14 years, I was a combination of the home dad, primary care of my children, and doing a fair bit of work in the media, off and on, got sacked a few times, bounced back a few times, you know, you speak your mind in the media, you haven't yeah. got uh, employment security, but that was all right. Uh, wrote some books, um, including the Latham Diaries, which, you know, raised a lot of money, built... Uh, pay off our house and other things. So, you know, that was a, a good period in terms of, um, well, basically raising my children and spending a lot of time with family. What was the best part of it? Um, you can sort of have that cliche about quality time with your kids, but uh, it was very rewarding for me to uh, look after them, you know, their schoolwork, their sport, their, their transport, their cooking for them became the home chef, ultimately brought out a cookbook with Alan Jones. How many MPs have got a cookbook? So uh, all of that went really well. You know, I look back on it as a golden part of my life. I've been lucky over all the things I've done in life coming out of uh, public housing estate in, in Liverpool. And why did I get back into politics? Uh, sometimes I say to people, I was standing out in the sun too long on a hot day um, and went a bit crazy to go back in. But the serious answer is the kids were growing up. They'd been through the education system, which is very troubled and I wanted to do something um, to make a contribution, particularly about uh, the quality of education in New South Wales. And I've, I've done a lot of work on that. I'm chair of the Upper House Committee on Education. We've brought out some important reports. I monitor and try to expose some of the crazy things happening in the school system, where a lot of it's about fads, experiments, PC, woke ideology, instead of the basics of how do we get the kids a good mm. education. Uh, one of the paradoxes is everything in the school system has been studied to death, we know exactly what works in the classroom in terms of teaching and academic excellence, but we don't practice it. So I'm trying to get the system not only back to basics, but back to the evidence base of what actually works. And uh, that was all going well, but ultimately, you know, most recently swamped by all the COVID issues. So yeah. uh, I'm sure next year we'll get back on the on the we'll get, school education trail. We'll get we'll get to some of those questions too, Mark. That's a really good introduction. Just out of interest, how is your health at the moment? Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, that uh, pancreatitis um, never came back, you know, de-stressing, you know, my kids must have been good for my health because I'm still here. Yep. Uh, the and oldest is coming up to 21 years of age and uh, yep. I'm back into politics. I, and I think I think with a better attitude and 
certainly not as many worries in in in, in my political life now and and health is health is good uh, um, yeah general health um, has been excellent fantastic just just moving on mark community conversations for those that haven't heard our podcast is actually a podcast for those who've got a heart for helping others Mark, back in your maiden speech in the New South Wales Parliament, you shared your concerns about religious freedoms and parental rights. You mentioned how much you enjoy being a dad. What is it that moves your heart to speak out about these issues, about these religious freedoms and these parental rights? Well, we grew up in Australia assuming that we've got freedoms. I'm not religious myself, but for those who have faith, uh, there's been this weird period of persecution. Um, I, I, I don't share the religious or necessarily the, the social views of Israel Folau, but I defend his right to say those things away from his workplace, which was Rugby Australia. And quoting from the Bible, I, I put out a tweet today that uh, don't worry about those two or three Melbourne Storm players uh, caught with the cocaine or Reese Walsh. Uh, uh, the only bloke who's banned from the NRL is Israel Folau for quoting from the Bible. So how you can be uh, chucked out of your workplace and banned from a national sport for having those views uh, of religious faith, the Bible, you know, not an insignificant book, most uh, read book in the history of, of humankind. Um, I, I, I think um, for reasons I explained in that speech, it's a very strange and unwelcome thing in our society that uh, people of faith would have their beliefs questioned and uh, they could lose their job and positions in society for articulating things that uh, have been an important part of our civilization, the, the, the values of Christianity in particular and the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Bible. On parental rights, um, it's hard to believe that uh, a lot of parents feel like they've lost control of their children in the school system. They find out about things that are really disturbing after they've happened in the school system. And I, I won't go into the details, but two of the most heart-wrenching moon conversations I've ever had with politics were with two, two mums, different stories, but same, um, same problem. But um, the school decided to help their children make a gender transition without telling them. And one of the mums found out about it at the shopping centre from another mum. And again, not going into the details, but these things absolutely rip families apart. I know um, um, gender transition for some kids is real and it'll be long lasting others it's a it's a bit of a fad um, but whatever the circumstances um, schools shouldn't be doing things behind the back of parents and the family destruction that this causes is just off the radar and 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 these things are dreadful and you know the things I really really dislike in public life are the problems caused that are unnecessary how hard is it to talk to parents bring them into the loop they, in both cases, they had medical experts who were working with the family. They paid a lot of money. They loved their children. They'd gone to a lot of care, only to find out the school had done things behind their back and uh, very, very destructive of their family unit. So parental rights matter in many, many respects, knowing what's in the curriculum, knowing what's happening in the classroom, but most particular, knowing about the welfare and uh, things like the gender identity and sexuality of your children. No parents should be kept in the dark. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Mark, you grew up in southwestern Sydney amongst blue-collar workers and everyday Aussies. How are the freedoms being taken away by the New South Wales Health Minister through the public health orders and impacting on these Aussies and their ability to earn a living? Well, I grew up in Liverpool, which has been one of these uh, LGAs of concern uh, where people have had a curfew. 
um, people have lost their, 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 their job, told they can't go to work unless they, uh, they get vaccinated. I don't know why that happens when we've got the rapid antigen testing today. It's just announced that we'll have it in the home. Why haven't we got it in the workplace where we all know that uh, people who are vaccinated uh, can carry the virus. Uh, vaccination um, overall is a, is a good thing. High rates of vaccination mean that the rate of hospitalization is low, the rate of, 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 of death is lower. But uh, for some people, for a whole range of reasons, I've spent a lot of time on the phone with them, uh, family history, want more information, waiting for Moderna or Novavax, couldn't get Pfizer, um, haven't had a jab for 40 years, anxious, depressed about it. I mean, there's a whole range of reasons there. Um, we're not an anti-vaccination. The anti-vaxxers hardcore are 1%, 2% of the population. Uh, why is, are, are people with valid reasons for, for not being vaccinated treated like lepers? now in our society. So uh, people um, in those areas uh, where I grew up, I still get the stories of how they're losing their job. Um, we're gonna lose thousands of healthcare workers, teachers, police, paramedics in New South Wales because they don't wanna uh, undertake a, a certain medical procedure. It all seems unnecessary when you can do the rapid antigen testing. And beyond that, the lockdowns, you know, it was supposed to be a three week lockdown. We're now in the 14th week of it. I think on Sunday, we rack up hundred days destroying businesses, destroying jobs, and the isolation for young people. This hasn't been high profile enough, but young people isolated from their school friends, their sporting mates, um, their, their, their social friends. This period of isolation has a lot of adolescents in particular wondering what, 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 what is our society? You know, are we, are we a community where we, we have bonds with each other or do we just spend all day uh, in our homes, in our bedrooms, um, um, you know, talking as we are here on a computer screen. So, you know, we, we, all of us know what a society is, but for young people making their way that journey, it's been the weirdest, most isolated, and for many of them, most depressing period they'll ever experience. So yeah. it's a tale of woe. I concur. I concur. I've got two teenage daughters, and I concur with you, Mark, regarding the isolation and the mental health distress that they're um they're working through. I'm just going to pick up on a couple of things you just said a moment ago. Historically, in industries like the nursing and teaching, construction and manufacturing, the unions have helped their representatives bargain for better conditions and wages. And the, the union motto has generally has always been united we stand, divided we fall. With lockdowns and mandating vaccines, we have seen in Victoria, in particular with the CFMEU tradies, have expressed their dissatisfaction with their union and their government through these protests. So I've got three questions to you about this particular point. How did the unions come to a place where they have effectively sold out their members who pay membership for, for representation? Two, what can union members do to protect themselves if their unions won't? And three, is this the end of the union movement as we've known it? Well, they're great, great questions, because you've got to wonder whatever happened to not only the union movement, the labour movement, labour MPs. I mean, the whole purpose of the labour movement uh, in trade unions and in politics was to establish some very important principles. One of them was that no employer owns the bodies and the health choices of their workers. Uh, you can go back to the time of serfdom uh, and feudalism. And unionism really came out of that to say no individual is owned by their employer. The employer doesn't run their health choices in life, doesn't run their life away from the workplace and, and doesn't control health choices in the workplace. So that had been a golden principle of the union movement, 
not just for decades, but hundreds of years. But now in this COVID period, they jumped it. And I get calls every day from longstanding unionists saying, well, hang on, for a bunch of reasons, the reasons I mentioned earlier on, people are not having the, the, the vaccination and they're saying, I paid my union fees for decades. Mm. Why aren't the unions representing my interests? Why am I getting the sack? And when I ring up the mm. union, they say, there's nothing we can do for you. At a bare minimum, the ACTU, instead of falling into line with the government mm. and the mm. employers, should have said, we'll run a test case yep. in the Fair Work Commission to establish the legal principles around this. That would have been a step. Um, we've seen with the CFMEU protests where they turned on their own leaders, they're mm. more militant and took action on the streets to say, you guys only have one job, that's to represent us and our needs and most particularly stop us getting the sack. Where's the Teachers Federation in New South Wales? Where just yesterday it was announced 500 foreign teachers are coming into New South Wales. That'll be to make up for the staff shortages where they're going to sack up to 7,000 New South Wales government teachers who've said they've no plan for a vaccination. So is this the end of the union movement? It should be, because they've been completely and utterly useless. What can workers do? You still have some rights in employment law, in work health and safety, in privacy, in some aspects of, um, it's only a tiny aspect of discrimination law. I put up a catalogue of the existing rights of workers that haven't been wiped as yet. It's on my Facebook page, Mark Latham's Outsiders. That's the work that the union representative should have been doing, to let workers know you have some existing rights. And in the case of the unions, we're going in to fight for your job. And I, I mentioned earlier on rapid antigen testing. Why have we got forced workplace vaccinations when you can have rapid antigen testing conducted by yourself in your home? Why aren't the union saying that is the pathway to have a COVID safe workplace? You do your COVID test in the morning, you're COVID free, you, you do your day's work and um, people keep their jobs. How hard would it have been for Chris Minns, Anthony Albanese, Labor MPs, and all those trade union le leaders who were on a pretty good wicket financially to step up and say the logical alternative to forced workplace vaccination and sackings is the rapid antigen testing. And here we are, it's coming in. As you said, uh, given your position or your previous position in the Labor Party, Mark, um, they have really been quiet, I concur, have been really being quiet on, on, the, um, on what, how this is related to workers. Do you think they have lost the trust of workers and is now the age of minor parties and independents to rise up? If you're a, a, a worker who's losing your job in this dreadful circumstance, uh, I can assure you One Nation in New South Wales has been standing up for your rights. I don't see anyone else who has been. So minor parties, uh, if we get support for that, I get support for the right reason. Uh, I mean, part of representative politics is to fight for people's rights, their jobs, their industries, their, their, their livelihood, their, their family welfare, uh, the education of their children. That, that's what I try to do every, each and every day. I, I am absolutely dumbfounded. And as a former federal Labor leader, I can't believe to hear Chris Minns say, I'm in favour of sacking these people. I can't believe that Anthony Albanese doesn't lift a finger to try and help them. I'm, I'm as stunned as the workers who are suffering this. I, at a political level, I can't believe this is what today's Labor Party has become. Changing directions just for a moment, Mark. Back to your maiden speech, you stated the rights of parents and grandparents have been removed, and I understand that you are now moving a bill regarding parental rights. Can you tell us a bit about this bill that you're hoping to get through Parliament? And what can you say to the parents and grandparents to stand up and to protect their children? Well, take an interest in what's happening at the school. When your kids come home, when we get back to normal school and the kids come home of an afternoon, ask what happened at the school today. 
What happened yeah. in the classroom? What did you hear about? You know, have a strong line of communication to your children to get that feedback about what's going on. If there's something that disturbs you uh, that happened that day at school, well, make your voice known. Uh, but, you know, it's hard because a lot of teachers foolishly think that they're the parents. And, you know, we've heard um, things at my education committee where uh, teachers will say, well, the parents know nothing about education and the parents are part of the problem. So it's an appalling attitude where the school institution, not all teachers, but some, have become very arrogant in thinking that they've got a bigger uh, responsibility for the well-being of the children than the parents themselves. Well, Parents yeah. don't have six weeks holiday at the end of the year. No. Um, parents are there on the weekends, late at night when things go wrong. Parents are there 24-7. I think mm -hmm. all up in the time that um, kids spend at school, it's about 13% of their year. Well, the parents are there all the time. So yeah. my bill establishes some important principles. One, that parents are without doubt the primary educators of their children. Two, that parents have got a right to know what's coming up in the curriculum and the classroom at the start of every year, no surprises, no weird subjects and things that are pushed upon the kids. And, and very importantly, parents have got a right to take their children out of classes that don't accord with the moral ethical values of their family. Um, so, you know, it puts parents back in the driver's seat and says to the schools, you're very important and we want great schools and we want great teachers, but parents, are primarily in charge of their children and the role of the school is to serve those parents and those children, not to serve the political views of the teachers. Basically, Mark, what, what's happening to this country? We've got this, we've got cultural war, cultural Marxism, the erosion of free speech, freedom of religion and beliefs. You have publicly shared that you're not a Christian. In fact, you've also shared that you don't believe in hell, yet you were appalled by the treatment of Israel Falau. Why did you feel so strongly about the situation with Israel? And why do we need to protect the freedom of religious expression? Well, you know, I was on uh, Israel's list of uh, sinners probably a couple of times, you know, as most, <laughs> of, us, most of us would have been. Yeah, most and of us. said, yeah. we're going to hell. But if you don't, if you don't, if you don't believe in hell, well, what, what are you worried about? You know, yeah. I'm not going there for the, the things. I'm not going to go into the detail, but the things that I might have done on that list. Um, so why, 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 why throw a bloke out of uh, the Australian footy team uh, for something you don't think is, is actually going to happen to you? So a lot of the complaints from the gay community in that regard were, you know, confected outrage. They, they were, you know, um, wanting to punish him without a belief that what he was saying about them would ever happen. Um, so that's a weird situation. But look, my view is, and I say this to my children, that, you know, you mightn't wake up in the morning and, and, and think the, you know, the, the Bible mightn't pop into your head and the Ten Commandments mightn't pop into your head and the teachings of Jesus Christ, you mightn't be thinking about it over breakfast. But in one of the ingrained parts of our society, Christianity is one of the key pillars of our civilization. How do we distinguish between right and wrong? Essentially, from the parts of the Ten Commandments and the teachings of Jesus. We don't sort of actively have an awareness of that each and every day, but it's ingrained into civil society. It's ingrained into our social habits. So Christianity, uh, not, not perfect, certainly, in the way it's been practised and, and some of the things that have happened in churches, but overall a magnificent force for good in our society and our civilization. one of the pillars of our civilization. And even if you're not a believer in, in, in Jesus Christ and God, uh, you should recognise the importance of Christianity to the way we live our lives, overwhelmingly a force for good, and it's worth defending.
many of us, myself included, are out of work soon due to these mandatory directives. What would you advise people who would like to keep their job but decline the offer of a vaccination? And where do you think we're at regarding vaccine passports? Well, thankfully, the announcement yesterday in New South Wales is a belated recognition that vaccine passports are a bit of a lemon. I mean, um, in, have a look at the UK, where they've got rid of the vaccine passports. They have 90, 98% of their adult population in the UK with uh, COVID antibodies. They, these are people vaccinated or they've got a nat natural uh, uh, acquisition of the antibodies because they've had the infection, 98%. But they're still getting... 30,000 new COVID cases a day, 30,000. But uh, people, because they're highly vaccinated, they've got the antibodies, it's not causing big hospitalisation rates. Only 7% of the British hospital beds are taken up by COVID patients. So they're living with COVID. Big numbers, but it's like the flu. If you're vaccinated, you've got the antibodies, it tends to be like the flu. For those who don't want to go down uh, the, the path of, of um, vaccination, in our country, uh, vaccine passports are silly. Because you, like this Craig Laundie goes on about it, the ex-liberal politician, he he's a, owns a lot of pubs. He says he doesn't want any vaccinated customers in his pub. What's, sorry, unvaccinated customers in his pub. But the vaccinated people can carry the virus and spread it. So what's he gonna do in his pubs when there's uh, some vaccinated people there who've got COVID? As there are many, hundreds of thousands uh, like that in the United Kingdom. What's he gonna do? Well, he's gonna to have to close down his pub and deep clean and, and maybe staff go out on, on two weeks of isolation. So it's foolish to think you can have a COVID free pub or cafe or restaurant or shop or retail premises or gym or cinema. I mean, you know, this is a delusion. There's this sort mm. of uh, false perception that's grown up in the media that somehow vaccination means you can never get COVID. It's just not true. And um, vaccine passports then are, are of no use. It's much more effective for Laundy to do rapid antigen testing of the customers and his staff every day. So he knows he's got a COVID free environment. So uh, in New South Wales, the vaccine passports won't even last seven weeks. They're gonna be, they'll end on the 1st of December, thankfully. I think Dominic yeah. Perrottet's played a big role in, in getting that decision. What can people yeah. do on the other side of the coin with the forced workplace vaccinations? Um, there's some rights available to you. I mentioned them on my Facebook page. It's a terrible circumstance. Plead with your employer to do the rapid antigen testing as an alternative to sacking. And for a lot of employers, this is an act of folly. In the private sector, there'll be people to reopen on the 11th of October who will lose some of their best workers, staff who might've been with them for decades, and they're gonna sack them? Please find an alternative. And rapid antigen testing is the logical way to go. Yeah, I think you're right there, Mark. The rapid antigen testing is the way to go. And it's good that someone's come up with some common sense. Our final question for our podcast is this. As the the, uh, well, I'm going to tell you who's going to win the foot in a minute. It's going to be Penrith by two. <laughs> okay. well, it could be one of those. It could be a two-point field goal from the middle of the field. By, uh, Why do Penrith get smashed by the storm? So yeah, well, probably not that's the best thought that, but, you know, there's a couple of Christian guys there. Maybe they've got some divine uh, intervention. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Mark, as the leader of the One Nation Party in New South Wales, what are the three challenges facing the people of this state? And what is One Nation's position on that? Well, the first and most obvious one is to live with COVID, to try and get back to normality, to treat COVID with these high rates of vaccination as like the flu, to be more like the UK where they're open, they're, 
watching the cricket. They're going to sporting events. They've got their jobs. They're going out at night without masks, uh, without vaccine passports. You see that in Sweden, uh, Denmark and, and, and Norway have just uh, junked uh, vaccine passports and, and they're opening up. We've got to be like that and end two things. The media uh, COVID fear campaign, which has terrorised a lot of people into thinking, you know, this is like typhoid. It's not. It's becoming like the flu. And the second thing is not demonise uh, any uh, people, who, not demonise people without vaccination uh, as, as kind of the new lepers in our society. We've got to bring people together, have one tier society, not a two tier society. People working together, like uh, as someone who's vaccinated, I've got nothing to fear from the un unvaccinated. I, why, why would I fear someone sitting on the train next to someone unvaccinated against COVID any more than I fear someone un unvaccinated against the flu? You know, uh, I've, I've, I've done what I think is my protection. I didn't, I, I wasn't going to get the AstraZeneca, I can tell you. But I spoke to my GP, we had an alternative. I'm, I'm, I feel protected. Why would I be scared or demonise unvaccinated people? And I know many of them have, have done this for very valid Reason. So that's a big thing on COVID. Our, our second priority, obviously, is economic recovery. Uh, we've got to be pro-development, pro-jobs, pro-industry in New South Wales, a whole bunch of things that need to be done. Energy policy, uh, development applications, fast-tracking good employment ideas. We've got to get back to a thriving economy. And, and our third priority is uh, in the education area where we've uh, discussed uh, many of the, the problems. I mean, for the next generation, uh, getting back to top of the ladder with school results instead of near the bottom for New South Wales is an absolute priority. Mark, thanks so much for your time. Uh, that's a wrap from us. But before, actually, before we do the wrap, just one question, Mark. We got to just want to say something. We've got a lot of supporters up here in Newcastle, just for your information. Um, a lot of people want me to pass on their regards and say how much we are. They're praying for you, Mark, and they're believing in you and they're um, hoping to perhaps uh, find a way to join uh, when you guys come up here for the next either state or federal election, we want to support you guys. Um, and oh, all I appreciate that. I was, as I say, my wife works in, in, in Newcastle and, uh, um, you know, we've got a place there and spent time there. But in the COVID lockdown, we thought it was better for the kids to for, for me to be here in Sydney. So it hasn't been easy, but it's a beautiful city, Newcastle, lots of potential. As long as you've got some politicians there who want to realise that potential instead of closing down the coal industry and creating mass unemployment. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Community Conversations, the podcast for those who have a heart for helping others. We would like to thank our very special guest, the Honourable Mark Latham, State Leader of the One Nation Party in New South Wales. We'd also like to thank our Executive Producer, Michael Smith. And I'm your host, Pietro Di Girolamo. Thank you for listening. And until next time, be kind to each other. Thank mm -hmm. you.